Well, we are so glad you are online with us today. We continue to just be thrilled and excited about the way in which God is redeeming technology and allowing us to stay connected during this summer 2020. Hey, keep your eyes and ears open for more information as we keep laying out our game plan for this summer and the way in which we're gonna move the church back on site. But let me not get ahead of myself. Today, it has been way too long since you have got to hear my friend, our teaching pastor, Mike Bro. And today he is back in the house. You are going to be blessed. Grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of Daniel. He is going to talk to us about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as you know, when Mike teaches, it's good. Have a great, great Sunday and may God speak to you and may God encourage you in these days. God bless. Today, we're going to hang in the first few chapters of an Old Testament book called Daniel, and we're going to see the story of some guys who made it through, well, let's just call it Hell's Kitchen. Now, let me just give you a little historical background before we launch into the story. In 605 BC, uh, the year I graduated from high school, uh, Gordon Ramsay, no, I mean King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, overwhelms Jerusalem and takes a bunch of their very best teenage guys captive and then enrolls them along with the young promising Babylonian guys in the King's Leadership Academy. Now these Jewish guys were given new names, new identities, they were forced to learn a new culture, to learn a new language, and they were introduced to a whole bunch of new so-called gods. And four of the most notable were a guy named Daniel and his three brothers, Hananiah, who was renamed Shadrach, Mishael, which renamed Meshach, and Azariah was renamed Abednego. And if you grew up watching Veggie Tales, then you know they renamed them Rack, Shack, and Benny, which is much easier. And their story is so rich, but the thing that jumps out to me is that even though Rack, Shack, and Benny had been taken captive by a completely godless and pagan nation, they refused to allow their souls their heart to be taken captive. They refused to buy into the cultural standards that would compromise their devotion to the one true and living God. They just consistently honored him, even though they were far from home, even though they were far from having their dream job. They just worked hard. They treated other people with kindness and respect. They served with integrity. They didn't gripe about being in Babylon. They just kind of bloomed where they were planted. And as a result, their excellent lives set them apart from all the others and all of them, Daniel, Rakshak, and Benny, were all elevated to high positions in the kingdom and they made a huge difference right in the middle of pagan Babylon. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was something else. I mean, the only thing that extended beyond the borders of his vast kingdom was his immense ego. Now, if you want to see a lesson in humility and how God really can humble the proud, you ought to read chapter four of Daniel. I guarantee you it's one of those lessons you'll want to learn from reading the book and not have to experience it in your own life. But look how chapter three begins. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 
90 feet tall, that's like a nine-story building, and nine feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was hoping to use this huge statue of himself to solidify his power by centralizing the people's worship. So he sends out a decree that says, when you hear the band start to play, everybody, everybody has to stop whatever they're doing during the day and bow down and worship the image. And he attached a warning that said, anybody who refuses to do so will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. You talk about an ego trip. Bow to my image or things are gonna get heated up real quick. Verse seven. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and they worshiped the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, most people in the Babylonian culture were uh, polytheists, like that means the worship of many gods. I mean, here a God, there a God, everywhere a God, God. So it was no big deal to stop and bow the knee to yet another God, especially under the threat of capital punishment. However, it was a big deal to some who worshiped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, Elohim, the great I am, the Lord of all creation, the true and living most high God. You know, somebody said one time, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. You see, quite a few years have passed since Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed up as high school students from Judah. They were men now grown men who held high positions in Babylon. These were guys who would have had ample time to get you know, well-adjusted to their profoundly sick society. Years to choose to just conform and fit in. They, they had years to fade in their relationship with God. They had years to feel like their old God was no longer relevant to the new lives that they were now living in their new culture. But not so, verse eight. But when some of the astrologers, the officials, went to the king and informed on the Jews, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the musical instruments. That decree, just wanna remind you, also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. So there are some Jews, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They have defiled your majesty by refusing to serve your gods or to worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, I want you to notice something about all that. That these guys were some officials tattling on some of the Jews. This was not like a class action suit against the whole group of people. Because I'm guessing there were other Jews, including Daniel, who didn't bow down either. But they weren't turned in. What's going on here? Did you catch the phrase, but there are some Jews, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. What's going on here? They don't care about the statue. I mean, what's another God? They just want these guys out of the way so they can get their jobs. 
In chapter one, all these guys were in this leadership academy together and Daniel and these three stood out among the rest of these guys. And as a result, they all got promoted along with Daniel and they were foreigners from crying out loud. This was professional jealousy. And I, I just bet there are some of you right now on the receiving end of jealousy. Somebody doesn't like you because you got the promotion or the raise, or, or you made the team, or you made the squad, or you were named an all-star and they weren't, or maybe you're the professor's favorite, or maybe you got a scholarship for next year, or maybe you seem to do everything so effortlessly. You got a great girlfriend, you got a great boyfriend, or your family gets to go on nice vacations, or you have a nicer home, a newer car, and your kids are doing awesome. And right now, right now, somebody is looking at you through the green-eyed monster of envy, hoping, wishing that something would happen to take you down and raise them up. And they may make comments about you behind your back. They might like post negative things. They may try to sabotage your efforts, poison your reputation, try to turn your friends, your coworkers, even your family against you. Do you know why the religious leaders handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified? Scripture says it was for envy that they delivered him up. I've taught this definition of envy before, but envy is resenting God's goodness in somebody else's life while ignoring his goodness in mine. Envy is this sinister thing that can subtly creep into your spirit. And if you know, even as I'm talking, that there's a little bit of that in your heart right now, man, you gotta let God surgically remove that before that cancer spreads and destroys you and a whole bunch of other people. And if it's happening to you right now, I hope you'll find some courage in the rest of this story. So I want you to picture in your minds the plains of Dura, I want you to picture all the officials, all the people, just waiting for their cue. And when the band starts to play, the horizon goes flat. Everybody bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold. And just imagine the silhouette of that moment. Three guys standing up among the many that were bowing down. And all three were standing at the risk of their own lives. I love this line from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. In fact, tweeted it a while back. People are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out, but when the darkness sets in, their true beauty is revealed only if there is light from within. And these guys had light from within because they walk with the light of the world, the true and living God. There was no way they were gonna be affected by the darkness around them. Now, a couple of things I want to point out real quick. You, you may be wondering, like, where's Daniel? And he doesn't say. He's probably just serving at his post. In fact, later on, the same kind of jealous plot would get him thrown in with some hungry lions. You might have heard that story, another great story, but he's not included in this part of the story. And maybe it's just me, but I think that's what makes the story even cooler than it is. Because if you'll read the first two chapters of Daniel, it's really clear that when it comes to these four young Jewish guys, Daniel was like the leader. He was their spokesman. He was the brave one. He was their strong one. And here they are now without their leader, standing up for God all by themselves. Now, you know it's great to have strong friendships. We all need them. We talk about that all the time. We teach around here and believe to our core. It's essential for us to be in healthy community and surround ourselves with godly relationships. We're just better together, right? But we will never know and experience the full power of God in our own lives 
if our courage is all wrapped up in somebody else. Because I'm telling you, there will be times when you'll have to face, come face to face with a scary situation. You're gonna be there by yourself with some kind of daunting task or a strong temptation, and you look around and your strong one is nowhere to be found. And what we so often do is panic. Where are they? I can't believe my friend. I can't believe my, my parent, my spouse, my pastor, my mentor, my, my coach, my sponsor. As I'm picking up the phone, if I ever needed them, I just need them now. And you know what I believe? God uses those moments in our life so we can depend upon him. And he can be revealed as our true, strong one. Psalm 18:10 says this, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. And if you're in a situation right now, you're alone, you're afraid, you're looking around for your quote unquote strong one and they're not around, or maybe they were not there for you the way you thought they would be. Maybe they moved away, maybe they passed away, or maybe they didn't turn out to be as strong as you thought they were. Maybe they relapsed. Maybe they bailed out on you or disappointed you. It's up to you now to lean into God because he is the God of unfailing love the God who will never bail on you, your unshakable, strong one. So here's these guys, Rakshak and Benny. They're standing up with their leader nowhere to be found. And as they stood up, they stood out. And they got in deep, deep trouble. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, after these guys tattled on them, flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? Am I just hearing things? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you, you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? I'm gonna give you one more chance. The king is thinking, you know, maybe they didn't hear the announcement. Maybe they were in a meeting, didn't get the memo. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt because these guys are three of my best. These are some of the most valuable members of my administration. I wanna give them another shot. So he says, if you will bow down and worship the statue I have made, when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, all will be well. I'll just totally forget about it. However, if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And let me ask you this, what God will be able to rescue you from my power then? Told you you had an ego. Well, they replied, verse 16, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will save us from your power, your majesty. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, your majesty can be sure that we will never serve your gods. We're not gonna worship the gold statue you've set up. And I love how they just stand before the king with total confidence, and did you notice how they respectively address him as your majesty? It's like they're saying, listen, we're not trying to be difficult here. You know us, you know our character. We're not trying to be rebellious. You know how well we've served you. But your majesty, we just can't do this because we drew a line in our heart long before we landed here in Babylon that we were gonna consistently and authentically serve the true and living God. And the God whom we serve, he's the one who's able to save us. My daughter Jody, uh, a few years ago, gave me a great exercise to do. So you ought to write down on a piece of paper, if blank, then blank. If blank happens, then blank happens. 
said you, you, ought to, you ought to start with saying if blank and then fill in the second blank with then God. If blank, then God. That's the way these guys lived. If blank happens, whether we're fired or fried, no matter what fills in that first blank, the second blank is already filled in. If blank, then God. So that's their answer to his question. What God will be able to rescue you then? Oh, the God of our blank. The God whom we serve. He is able. He has the power in case you've forgotten your majesty. He gave you your kingdom. Our God can read minds. Our God can reveal secrets. Our God controls the tides. He stores the thunder in places no one has ever been. He knows every star, every grain of sand, every hair on your head. He's not just 90 feet tall like your statue. He can wade into the deepest ocean and still only be ankle deep. He can play marbles with the planets. He has perfect vision, but if he wore contacts and dropped one, it would wipe out all of Babylon. He is huge. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He is the giver of all good gifts. He is the anchor of our soul. He is our hope. He is the one who put the capacity to love and laugh and cry and feel in our hearts. He has the power to forgive in ways that we can only hope to learn. He alone can rescue. He alone can save. He alone can lift us up from the grave. Oh yeah, the God whom we serve, the God whom we love, who we believe, we trust, we know that God. Yeah, that God is able to save us. And did you catch that next phrase? But even if he doesn't, man, that's packed with such faith. They're saying, we know he sees the big picture. And we trust not only his power, we trust his heart. And we believe that God can do this. But if he chooses not to, then we'll trust his unfailing love. I love the story that Stu Weber tells of a family vacation at a lake home. And the four-year-old who couldn't swim fell off the dock. And the dad was walking back up to the cabin and he heard a splash and turned around. The kid wasn't on the dock anymore. So he ran down the dock and he, and he jumped in the water and he started searching frantically for his four-year-old. And he came up for air and went back down and start, kept searching. Finally, he found his four-year-old wrapped around one of the posts in the dock. He pulled him off the post, brought him up out of the water. He goes, what were you doing? He said, just waiting for you, dad. Just waiting for you. And that was these three guys' attitude. We know our father God will show up. Don't know how, don't know when, but he always does and we're just gonna trust that. Verse 19, well, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual, probably to match his anger. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully clothed, and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames leaped out and killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell down into the roaring flames. My wife went through a Beth Moore's Bible study of Daniel a few years ago, and she reminded me how, talking about this particular story, Beth says that, you know, sometimes God delivers us from the fire, and sometimes God delivers us through the fire. 
And sometimes he delivers us by the fire, straight into his arms. Now that first scenario from the fire, it sounds best, doesn't it? The first thing we do when things start to heat up is pray that the fire will not touch us, that it could just go around us or pass over us. And it's right to pray those kind of prayers. Don't misunderstand me. There's not a lack of courage for praying for healing and protection and miracles. Sometimes he does deliver us from the fire. And sometimes he delivers us through the fire. And that's what he's done and is doing for a whole bunch of us. I have a friend right now in stage four cancer. Her attitude is nothing simply short of amazing. Cancer is what brought her into a relationship with Jesus. She talks all the time about the new perspective on life that she has. All the internal growth and life change he's done in her. And she says, I know he's gonna walk with me through this because I've already filled in the blank. If blank, if cancer, then God, he is with me. You know, the Bible teaches that all the tough stuff we go through, and man, we go through it, don't we? That it refines our faith and it makes us come out of the fire like gold that gets forged. And I've learned personally that that kind of fire can just burn the fake out of you. It can. It makes your faith and your character genuine. Sometimes he delivers us from the fire and sometimes he delivers us through the fire and sometimes he delivers us by the fire straight into his arms. He did that for another friend. She was in a horrific wreck that sent three people to the ICU and six people to heaven. She was one of them. They say she died on impact. She was in a recovery program, experiencing brand new life, loving God, doing great. She'd recently been baptized, so full of life. But man, she'd had a tough life. Wrestled with years with drug addiction, lost a daughter. And that night she heard a boom. And the next thing she knew, wow, this place is awesome. There's Jesus, there's my daughter. And gang, when that happens, our faith is made complete when we stand before our rescuer. Sometimes he delivers us from the fire, sometimes through the fire, and sometimes by the fire straight into his arms. And I think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thinking that it was either gonna be the first scenario or the last one. I think they probably thought that either God would soon intervene and they would not be thrown into the fire or they were going home to see their maker. I don't ever, ever think it crossed their minds they could actually make it through the fire. Verse 24, but suddenly, as he was watching, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? They said, yes, we did indeed, your majesty. Look, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire. They aren't even hurt by the flames. And the fourth looks like a divine being. Now, biblical scholars have opinions about who that fourth man in the fire was. It could have been an angel. I mean, God certainly could have done that. That's cool. But I believe that the way that this verse is translated in many other texts, the son of deity or the son of God, suggests that this was the very presence of Jesus himself, right there in the fire with them. Oh, you know Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he is 
And I know that a bunch of you are going through painful stuff, hard stuff, real stuff. You got some intense heat in your life, but he is with you in the fire. You're not alone. Listen to your father say this to you. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you for I am the Lord, your God. And it said, when, not if, because we're all gonna walk through some fires. We're all gonna be faced with some scary things in this life. But if blank happens, then God, he's always with us. Nothing can separate us from his unfailing love. He has prepared a better place for us. And Rackshack and Benny had supreme confidence in him. Verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. <laughs> I just love the way this simply reads. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the princes, prefects, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not even touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Man, I love a couple of things in there. Remember how they'd been tied up and thrown into the fire and then how the king saw that they were now walking around unbound? Their bodies had not been harmed. Their roads had not been scorched. Not even the hairs on their heads had been singed. The only things that got burned up were the ropes that held them back. I mean, I just think that's a cool picture for us because I believe there are times where God will allow us to go through some kind of fire to set us free. Maybe it was some kind of bondage to a habit or an addiction that had you so tied up for so many years. Maybe the fire was even a consequence of your own bad decisions. But how many of us have gone through a fire that finally forced us to humble ourselves? and finally lean into God. And the result was those things that held us back, those things that tied us up, they got burned away and we were finally free. The other thing I love would have said in verse 27, that there was no smell of fire on them. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, nor had even the smell of smoke clung to them. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I can go roast marshmallows on a campfire. I can have fajitas at a Mexican restaurant and I can smell like smoke for a week, right? It just clings to me. But on the other side of this fire, even the smell of smoke had not clung to them. You know, some people have gone through tough stuff. They go through their life angry, bitter, always playing the victim card. But there are others who have gone through a fire and you'd never know it because they don't go around smelling like smoke. I think of a friend whose husband had an affair several years ago. It was an intense fire, lots of pain. And it didn't result in a restoration of the marriage. But God walked with her through the fire. And these days, it doesn't even smell like smoke. I think of another friend who was neck deep in an eating disorder when she was younger. But God walked through the fire with her. And you know what? You'd never know it. She doesn't even smell like smoke. I think of a guy I know who was abused by his dad countless times, but you'd never know. God brought healing to his heart and these days he doesn't even smell like smoke. I mean, only God can bring us through a fire and write a brand new story with our lives. What happens in that furnace is simply supernatural. No other explanation. 
This is Red Sea parting, Gideon's army walk on the water, resurrection from the dead kind of stuff. And Nebuchadnezzar recognized it. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and they were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be crushed in the heaps of rubble. He still hasn't caught the compassion thing yet. But he says, there's no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Can I just ask you, because I'm asking myself all the time, what is it that keeps you from living with deep conviction? What is it that keeps you from having the confidence to live the kind of full life that Jesus came to give us? And a few good, honest questions we all need to ask ourselves, what other things besides God am I bowing down to these days? What kind of ropes have me bound? What needs to be burned away? From what do I need to be rescued? And if you're going through a fire right now, you need to know that someone's in that fire with you. His name is Jesus. And whether it's from the fire, through the fire, or by the fire, he will deliver you. We're gonna spend a few moments together wherever you're at. Just thank Jesus for being our rescuer thanking him for being our deliverer. Let's just spend a few moments today, wherever we're at, and let's just thank Jesus Christ for being in the fire with us and taking our punishment so we could be free. Let me pray before we do that. Father, thank you so much for being our rescuer, for being our deliverer, to be the God who is with us. And Jesus, we thank you for your supreme sacrifice on the cross that has set us all free. We pray this in your name, amen.